The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for coming by the show. Today we're going to have on a special guest. We've got John Harper on here. He's a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. You can find them at nationaldefensemagazine.org. They are the magazine for NDIA, for the National Defense Industrial Association, and they cover pretty much everything that's going on in the defense industry, everything that happens with procurement, with what's going on with new weapon systems and all other kind of things. And we're going to be talking about some of that today. Hey, John, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me on the show, Derek. Hey, it's my pleasure. Hey, I was, I've been following your articles, and, and, and I found some, some interesting things that I just really wanted to talk about. I think, you know, people need to know about, uh, you know, with the dynamic of the Pentagon, we've always been hearing about what's going on with procurement. There's a lot of different pieces, and the president has said, you know, different things. And you had an interesting article that was talking about that, you know, the Pentagon plans to cut procurement and kind of boost uh, research and development. You know, where, where is that going right now, John? As, as we take a look at it, is, are they going to be moving away from a lot of the defense contractors and trying to, you know, do certain things like that? Are they looking to kind of maybe uh, scale down the force a little bit and kind of say, well, we're going to kind of do in-house research and development where we won't need as, as many either weapon systems or, or other things like that? Where is this going? Well, this all uh, goes back to the uh, 2018 National Defense Strategy, um, which uh, shifts the Pentagon's focus away from, uh, you know, counterterrorism, uh, counterinsurgency, you know, as the main focus, um, and it notes uh, a return to great power competition with advanced adversaries or potential adversaries like China and Russia. And so what the Pentagon uh, is concerned about is that, uh, you know, while there's been this focus on, you know, the wars in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and everything going on uh, in the Middle East, uh, that, um, you know, it needs to invest in new technologies to maintain its, uh, its military edge over these uh, uh, countries that they call uh, peer competitors or near-peer competitors. And so to come up with uh, some of these new capabilities, uh, they're hoping to boost investment in uh, research and development uh, to come up with some cutting-edge uh, equipment and other systems that could aid them in this you know, high-end fight. Um, and so to free up money for that, uh, they're trying to uh, shift money uh, to a certain degree um, from procurement to research and development. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to stop procuring, you know, existing systems. Uh, it just means that there's more of an emphasis uh, on uh, research and development for future systems. And in this uh, fiscal year 2020 uh, presidential budget request, which was released earlier this week, uh, the uh, Pentagon's research and development budget um, would increase uh, by about $9 billion, uh, nearly 10%, uh, up to about $104 billion uh, compared uh, with last year. Uh, of course, this would all have to be approved by Congress, and we can get into that uh, later. But um, the 2020 budget request would also call for a uh, decrease in procurement 
of about four billion dollars uh, down to 143 billion, which is still a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, and gives you an idea that you know they're still buying legacy systems and some of the existing equipment. So it's you know it's not like they're not going to buy anything that exists now, but there's definitely a shift there, which I think uh, is very notable. Right. You know, I was kind of going line by line in, in what you were talking about, and, and, and I'm seeing uh, $3.7 billion for unmanned and autonomous projects. Is that both uh, aerial and underwater and possibly even space? I mean, where are we going with this? Absolutely. I mean, that is a huge uh, area of emphasis that uh, really all of the services um, are uh, focused on right now, you know, just in terms of unmanned systems, you Mm -hmm. know, there's an interest in uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, which are, you know, more commonly known as drones among the public, although some in the military don't like that term. Um, you know, unmanned uh, ground vehicles. The the army uh, is really wanting to acquire a new uh, optionally manned uh, ground combat vehicle, which you know could potentially have uh, a human driver and human crew, or it could be deployed, you know, without someone actually inside the vehicle. Right. And John, maybe let me just jump in there before we hit the navy. I saw something like that uh, where they're talking about possibly having these autonomous convoys. Uh, where you could, like you say, you could possibly have a driver, but the convoy could actually, you know, almost, you know, be a man by the robots or whatever the case is, and they could, you know, go from one area to another. You wouldn't have to have, like, where we've had these situations with IEDs and everything else. We would be less concerned about the human cost. And, you know, you could have these drivers or these trucks or things like that kind of go and, you know, go to the mission area based on this autonomous project. Right. Um, there's a concept that the Army is really keen on called leader-follower. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, you know, the concept as it's been envisioned now, you know, you might have a truck operated by a soldier, um, and then the other trucks in the convoy could be, uh, you know, essentially uh, driving autonomously which, uh, you know, as you noted, you know, that could, uh, you know, limit the number of soldiers that are put in harm's way. Uh, obviously, you know, during the wars uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, IEDs, uh, you know, also known as uh, roadside bombs, were a huge problem, uh, caused a, a high number of casualties among U.S. troops. And so with this leader-follower concept or other uh, robotic vehicle technologies, you know, one aim of that is to uh, try to uh, reduce the vulnerability of U.S. troops uh, to those types of weapons. And uh, there are other benefits as well. Um, You you know, as we think about this and and swinging into the Navy, you know, a lot of times uh, I've been seeing lately that we've been talking about this autonomous ships and maybe autonomous drones kind of working underwater or submarines like that. Where's the Navy going? The Navy is pursuing unmanned systems uh, pretty much in every domain that mm. they operate in. They've got um, a project underway called the uh, Stingray. To uh, it would essentially be a carrier aircraft carrier launched uh, unmanned tanker, uh, so it could refuel fighter jets, for example, um, in midair, and there wouldn't be uh, you know a human um, in the cockpit. Uh, but they're also interested in uh, unmanned surface vessels um, and unmanned underwater vessels. 
uh, you know, for example, potentially deploying, you know, robotic submarines that could go out and perform uh, reconnaissance missions, for example, you know, high-endurance systems uh, that you could put out there for a long period of time and you wouldn't have to go through all the effort of deploying, you know, a much larger manned uh, submarine. You could free up those types of systems to do other uh, missions and you could kind of lean uh, more heavily on these unmanned systems to do those kinds of jobs. Mm. And before we get to the other branches, I was just kind of thinking, how does this also impact the Coast Guard? I mean, are they going to be, I know they kind of fall into kind of the two different areas of DHS and sometimes DOD. Will they be benefactors of some of this autonomous or the drones or some of this type stuff right now? Will they also kind of fall into that where they'll get more aerial uh, uh, vessels or their national security cutters will get um, some things that fall with that? Uh, yes, the uh, Coast Guard, uh, you know, as you noted, is sort of has a, you know, a, a crossover uh, position just, in, you know, in terms of functionality. Um, it is considered, you know, an armed service, but it's funded through the Department of Homeland Security and has a wide variety of missions. Uh, there's definitely interest uh, among the Coast Guard in uh, unmanned drones uh, to do uh, surveillance uh, missions, for example, uh, you know, one of the key uh, missions for the Coast Guard is uh, drug interdiction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could potentially deploy these things, uh, you know, and look for drug smugglers, uh, for example. Um, Now, they won't be buying, you know, the types of really high-end systems that the U.S. military is going to buy, things like Reaper drones um, or Global Hawks, you know, some of these really large systems that are, you know, designed, uh, you know, also for uh, not just surveillance and reconnaissance and intelligence gathering, but um, also for strike missions. I don't think that's really envisioned uh, for the Coast Guard at this point. Sure. You know, I've got a special, I served in the Marine Corps, I've got a special interest in that. Where is the Marines headed with this kind of, I mean, are we talking about, you know, more again of the the, the Reaper, or are we talking about kind of surveillance drones, are we talking about more kind of automated? I know that uh, I have seen a big thing about those robotics, those kind of almost like a dog or a horse and they can, you know, carry about 20, 40, 50 pounds and take off the load of somebody who's in the infantry. Where, where is the, that arm going? Right. There are, um, you know, R&D efforts to, uh, you know, push forward this uh, idea of having uh, a robotic mule, uh, you know, uh, just as sort of a, you know, colloquial, colloquial uh, term, um, so essentially it would act, you know, as a, a cargo vehicle, essentially, uh, to carry equipment for troops um, mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of similar to leader-follower if this is operating, you know, autonomously or in an unmanned uh, capacity that reduces the manpower requirements for, you know, the Army or, or Marine Corps. Um, one thing that was interesting in this latest uh, budget request uh, is that the uh, Marine Corps wants to buy three Reaper drones, which are very large uh, drones that have high endurance uh, and have also, you know, performed um, airstrike missions. Uh, you know, the Air Force ha- already has its own fleet of those systems. Uh, the Marine Corps, you know, has uh, been operating uh, smaller drones, you know, including drones that. Uh, individual soldiers can deploy on the ground, you know, sort of, uh, you know, backpackable systems, uh, if you will, uh, include, and, you know, there's been an interest in 
some of the types of drone technology that you could buy kind of commercially uh, off the shelf, the, uh, helicopter type mm-hmm, drones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, For surveillance, and, and so this would be a shift. And kind of get a, a lay of the land before they have to go over some areas. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, one of those quadcopters, say, mm-hmm. for example, uh, soldiers or Marines are, you know, out operating and they want to know what's on the other side of the hill. You know, right. are they walking into an ambush? What's going on over there? You know, rather than soldiers just marching, you know, to the top of the hill and, you know, peering over and right. making themselves vulnerable to enemy forces, you know, you can deploy these small unmanned systems and uh, get some video footage of uh, of what's going on in areas that maybe they can't see to kind of give them an advanced warning uh, so that they can prepare uh, for what's uh, what's ahead. Yeah, 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 without question. Hey, we got to take quick a quick break, John, and then when we come back, I, I, I see artificial intelligence. That I mean, from what I'm hearing, that's growing. I was actually surprised by the amount. The, the, the amount wasn't in, in the billions, but it that's a big area right there in terms of just a, a growth area because some of this – the drones and autonomous stuff is, uh, you know, being commanded by AI or, or at least, you know, has some AI functionality to it. So I want to talk about that next and where the Defense Department is thinking about with AI when we come back. Uh, you listen to Derek T. Dorch on Fed Access on the Federal News Network. We've got John Harper on. He is the managing editor of the National Defense Magazine. You can find them at nationaldefensemagazine.org. A great magazine. Really gives a lot of insight about what's going on in the defense market right now, whether it be a certain kind of uh, new technology, research and development, uh, procurement issues, and everything else. So nationaldefensemagazine.org. Check it out. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we are talking about what's going on in the defense market right now, what's going on with procurement. There's some changes that are happening right now with the Defense Department. The Pentagon is looking at maybe changing up a little strategy right now. Rather than doing procurement, they're looking at research and development, they're looking at a new processes and putting more R&D into some of the services in terms of looking at uh, drones and autonomous vehicles vehicles and robots and all the other kind of pieces. We're talking about these issues right now. We've got on the line John Harper. He's managing uh, editor of National Defense Magazine. Uh, it's a magazine focused in on the defense market. They're the magazine of the National Defense Industrial Association, a great magazine that you definitely got to check out because you'll learn a lot about what's happening in the Defense Department. You can find them at nationaldefensemagazine.org. Hey, John, you know, we, we were talking about procurement, and we were kind of talking about and and, and, and you know, I saw that the Army is asking for the most, and, and then, you know, it kind of goes here and there from the Navy and everyone else, and then we've got the Air Force. I want to talk about a little bit about that because they're seeming to be the ones who are going to be managing space and, and, and you know, a lot of our missile systems. But then what's also happening with AI? Well, AI is a big area of interest really across uh, the Defense Department for a variety of potential missions. Uh, you know, they've had this uh, initiative called uh, Project Maven, um, and essentially the idea behind that is to take artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning technologies to be able to uh, have a computer essentially analyze drone footage, um, and you know the military is uh, completely inundated with that kind of footage, and it's uh, a huge burden on you know human intelligence analysts to scan through all of this. I mean, it's a job that's uh, nearly impossible. So mm-hmm. the idea is that 
you could have, you know, an AI system, uh, you know, take that burden off of them. And there's, you know, a wide variety of uh, potential uses, um, including, you know, as we've kind of uh, discussed before, you know, if you have autonomous vehicles, um, autonomous aircraft, uh, autonomous uh, naval vessels, you know, all of those could potentially utilize artificial intelligence. Uh, in fact, earlier this week, um, the Air Force's uh, top acquisition official, uh, you know, they've got a project going on called uh, Skyborg, uh, an AI program which uh, would potentially enable the service to give aircraft, including fighter aircraft, um, some artificial intelligence capabilities. And, you know, there's a concept called the uh, robotic wingman, which, you know, in the future uh, could uh, create a situation where Air Force pilots um, might be flying alongside unmanned aircraft that could utilize uh, AI, autonomy technology. Um, So, you know, once again, it would be an example of a situation where the U.S. military could put uh, fewer personnel at risk, particularly as they look to potentially go to heavily in the heavily defended environments uh, against advanced adversaries who would have uh, air defense systems. So if you can put fewer pilots at risk but still have a lot of platforms go in, that definitely would give the military an operational advantage. Uh, so that's uh, an area of keen interest, at, as I noted, not just for the Air Force, but uh, the Navy, uh, Marine Corps, uh, Army are all interested in AI uh, for a variety of potential applications. So that's a huge uh, area of growing investment. You know, you just mentioned something that, honestly, I, I hadn't even thought of. I mean, the more that we have, uh, you know, Reapers and 24-7 drones out, and we're collecting this massive amount of video and this massive amount of intelligence, as you mentioned, um, and if we've got all four, maybe, you know, five services who are doing that, that just becomes as twenty four seven. That just becomes a, a vast amount of, uh, of of video and 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 data and everything else that that one has to be stored. But as you said, has to be analyzed. And and you know, like you said, it, that may not be uh, that you know what a computer can do. Are these systems you know getting up to speed where they can start to pick out certain things or facial recognition? I mean, are are, are we there yet, or is that's where this is going? I think there's a lot of work to be done, but I, I do think just, you know, based on talking with officials, uh, you know, analysts, people in the uh, the scientific community um, and the tech community, uh, you know, th- this technology is really making uh, forward strides. Uh, you know, how long it will be before, you know, you have really advanced AI and machine learning systems uh, you know, that can uh, do some of these, you know, really sophisticated operations on a wide scale uh, that the U.S. military would like, you know, is uh, is tough to predict. Um, but, you know, there are, it, it's not an easy task, and particularly, you know, uh, when it comes to AI, uh, you know, there has to be a certain amount of work done to train systems, for example, or program them to be able to identify certain things, whether it's an enemy weapons platform, you know, a suspected terrorist, uh, you know, or any other item uh, of interest. So there's still work to be done there. Um, The technology seems to be maturing, um, and I think there's, 
you know, a pretty widespread uh, view that, you know, in the coming years, coming decades, uh, you know, this technology is going to play a major role uh, for the U.S. military. Yeah. You know, I saw on here about the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center and, and the kind of Advanced Image Recognition Center. Is, is this going to be kind of like a PACOM or, or kind of a joint center that all the branches will be working out of in order to, rather than having each one have their own kind of AI center, they're all working together jointly to kind of see what their mission needs are and then try to figure out solutions? Um, it that's uh, a great example of sort of the uh, you know cross service interest uh, in this technology and the interest among uh, DoD leadership. Um, it won't um, or isn't expected to operate like a combatant command. You know, mm-hmm. you noted okay. uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, you know Indo Pacific command. So it's not necessarily geared towards. Uh, wartime operations, but it is geared towards, uh, you know, helping the U.S. military uh, incorporate this technology and, uh, you know, shepherd advances um, into the force. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that's definitely something to watch. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, John, is, is DARPA going to be, uh, you know, getting a lot more with this, or this is going to be more uh, some of the you know the, the the branches research arms you know each one has their kind of own kind of research arm sometimes it, it, or it, or will DARPA be a lot more involved in this the, the defense advanced research projects agency? Um, DARPA it will play I think a huge role in pushing this technology forward. Mm-hmm. Um, DARPA is really focused, um, you know, on. It, they kind of take a, a long view and, uh, you know, really look at some of these technologies um, in the early stages, some really cutting-edge stuff, and they try to push that forward to the point where other DOD uh, research and development organizations can kind of take that technology, the early work that DARPA has done, um, and push it forward, you know, eventually push it out uh, to where, uh, you know, gets into uh, program offices and they, you know, start fielding, uh, you know, large numbers of systems. Uh, so I think DARPA will continue to play uh, a big role across the board, not just, you know, in terms of autonomy, but uh, a variety of technologies. We've got to take a quick break. We're talking to John Harper. He's the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. Uh, you can find him at nationaldefensemagazine.org. Uh, they, discover, they really kind of discover what's going on with the Pentagon, what's happening with procurement, what's happening with research and development, what's happening with uh, new weapon systems and everything else. So it's a great place to find out what's happening with the Pentagon and the Department of Defense overall. We're going to take a quick break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we have been talking about what's going on with the Pentagon. The Pentagon is making some new strides. They're making some new moves in terms of research and development, maybe taking a look and say, listen, we're not going to procure as much, but we're going to put a lot more investment and money in terms of research and development, in terms of developing the next generation of weapons, the next generation of support vehicles, the next generation of artificial intelligence. And so they're looking at this right now. We've been talking about this with John Harper, uh, he's had an article in National Defense Magazine, and you can find it at nationaldefensemagazine.org, but he was talking about these new moves uh, that the Pentagon is making, and we're discussing today on Federal News Radio. 
John, talk to me about, you know, when I'm, I'm looking right now and they're talking about these hypersonic weapons. Um, and, and, and I've heard about this and I've talked about this with some people. What is a hypersonic weapon? Is that like, you know, we're looking at lasers. I mean, what are we talking about when we talk about that? Well, a hypersonic weapon um, is uh, essentially, uh, you know, a, a missile or uh, another type of uh, uh, aerial vehicle uh, that can travel at speeds of Mach 5 uh, or faster. Mm. But the thing that's really unique about uh, hypersonic weapons um, in comparison with ballistic missiles, for example, which can travel at hypersonic speeds, um, is that uh, y- you know these uh, new hypersonics are highly maneuverable. Um, and it's much uh, more difficult to anticipate what trajectory they're going to travel on, um, you know, the changing uh, altitude and, uh, um, you know, maneuvering around air defense and missile defense systems. So are these uh, almost smart weapons, John? Are these kind of smarter weapons that either can be controlled by a controller or they have either AI in them to kind of uh, avoid certain play? And they're not just going on a straight trajectory. They can do certain things in order to still accomplish their mission if they see uh, some countermeasures being put out? Right. I mean, they can, uh, you know, be programmed um, to do these maneuvers. Um, And, you know, with a traditional ballistic missile you know, if you have uh, radars, you know, other types of si- sensors and, uh, you know, computers, uh, you know, with some of these older ballistic missiles, if you n- can calculate, you know, their speed and trajectory, you can kind of predict where they're going to be located uh, in the future as they uh, travel through uh, through their course. Um, and so you could fire an interceptor um, at that location where you anticipate the ballistic missile mm, is going to be right. and hopefully intercept it. Whereas with these hypersonic uh, uh, weapons, you know, they're highly maneuverable. maneuverable. It's much more difficult to imp- anticipate uh, where they're going to be at any point in time. And so the Pentagon uh, not only sees that as, um, you know, a threat, uh, Russia and China are uh, making a big push to develop these types of weapons, and that's a big concern. Uh, but the Pentagon would also like to have those types of weapons in their own arsenal. Um, and so, you know, um, from a defensive perspective, there's an interest in uh, looking at, you know, new types of uh, sensors, uh, new types of interceptors, um, even putting, uh, you know, a, a more uh, robust uh, layer of sensors up in space um, to try to defend against these systems and track them better. Uh, on the offensive side, you know, the Air Force, uh, Navy, Army uh, are all interested in developing these types of weapons. And, you know, I think you're going to see a big increase in DOD spending uh, on these types of systems, and uh, there's also a lot of interest uh, in industry and in working on these technologies and winning, you know, some of these uh, contracts that could be coming out. Um, hypersonics uh, is the uh, top technical priority of uh, Under Secretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, uh, Mike Griffin. He talks about that all the time, and so there's a big push now to pump more money into these technologies uh, to, you know, 
prototype and test these systems and to get them fielded as soon as possible. Mm. You know, that's interesting. I mean, and, and it just kind of goes into the direct energy for bases um, in, in terms of kind of looking at that. Are we looking at solar en- energy or, or, or are they, inv- I've even heard about the military sometime investing in alternate fuels and a number of different kind of pieces. What is this direct energy piece? Um, directed energy um, generally refers to, uh, you know, laser weapons, mm, okay, um, okay. high-powered high-powered microwaves, uh, neutral particle beams, uh, that kind of thing. You know, that is uh, uh, definitely an area of interest uh, for DOD. There's, you know, they're planning more investments into those technologies. Uh, you know, air and missile defense uh, is a big uh, potential use for those. You know, you could potentially, for example, uh, put a laser system uh, on a ship and, uh, you know, fire them at uh, enemy vessels, enemy aircraft. Um, you know, one big advantage of that is that, you know, you would essentially have, you know, unlimited uh, firing capability. You know, today, if you have a, a, a gun on a ship or, or missiles, you know, you only have a kind of a limited magazine there. You can only fire, you know, however many you're carrying on the ship. Um, and the same would be true for, you know, other domains on the ground or or wherever. Whereas if you have a laser system, you know, assuming it has uh, enough uh, power generating capacity um, and, uh, you know, meets other technical specs, you could potentially just keep firing it over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one reason that, you know, the Pentagon uh, is really keen on looking at that. Now, there are a lot of technical challenges uh, and technical hurdles that still have to be overcome. You know, they're trying to uh, uh, scale up the power system on these lasers, for example. Uh, they need to miniaturize the technology uh, to put it onto various platforms. You know, there's an interest in putting them on uh, aircraft, for example. But if you have a ginormous laser, you know, that creates a lot of problems from a, a size, weight, uh, and power perspective and just fitting them uh, onto these platforms. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, I think eventually, you know, you'll probably see uh, a number of these systems fielded. Um, there's a lot of work going on there. Um, and uh, there's going to be more money uh, put towards those technologies. You know, as I'm as I'm looking at this, I, and you know, I'm, I've always been kind of a science fiction buff. Uh, you know, I, this is starting to look a lot more like uh, like Star Trek and Star Wars. I mean, we, we're starting to look at uh, the investment in in money in terms of the lasers and space and everything else. This is really starting to kind of take a form where it's looking like the future that we used to watch on TV all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think sort of the the near-term interest is to put more of these sensors up in space. Um, But now the Pentagon uh, is conducting uh, a new review of uh, potentially putting um, interceptors up in space, actually basing missiles there on satellites that could potentially shoot down uh, a North Korean missile, uh, for example. There's, um, you know, uh, some consideration to putting directed energy weapons uh, up there as well. The uh, Missile Defense Agency has a new initiative for a neutral particle beam weapon, for example, that, uh, you know, might potentially, uh, you know, be deployed in space. Um, and, you know, back in the 80s, uh, when the, you know, President Reagan, the Strategic 
uh, defense initiative was moving along, you know, critics derided it as Star Wars, you know, after the popular uh, sci-fi movie franchise, right? And so, um, you know, we're potentially looking at, um, you know, the U.S. military kind of revitalizing those efforts in a sense. And I'm actually working on a big feature story right now uh, exploring all of those issues. Uh, but that's definitely something to look at. Now, there are uh, a lot of big technical challenges involved with uh, deploying weapons uh, in space, uh, and particularly as it you know, relates to uh, missile defense. So you know, that's not necessarily uh, the path uh, they're going to go down, and you know, if if they did decide to do that, um, you know, it would require a lot of effort to deploy, you know, a robust um, system up there. Um, but that's, uh, you know, kind of received uh, some renewed interest. And uh, you know, as I noted, uh, you know, uh, Mike Griffin, who's you know leading a lot of uh, the Pentagon's uh, technology efforts. Uh, you know, back in the 80s, he worked on the Strategic uh, Defense Initiative, right. and, uh, you know, he's he's very keen on these technologies. So it sounds like, based on his public statements, uh, you know, that's an area that he's interested in moving in. Now, whether uh, the policy folks, you know, at the Pentagon, within the Trump administration, whether lawmakers in Congress, you know, are going to want to sign on for this and fund this uh, is another question. Uh, but there's definitely a close look, uh, close examination going on right now as to, uh, you know, whether this would be technically uh, feasible, uh, you know, how cost effective it would be, what are sort of the, uh, um, you know, strategic implications just in terms of, uh, you know, would this upset uh, the, uh, you know, the balance uh, or the, uh, you know, the international relationship between, uh, you know, the U.S. and Russia or mm-hmm. the U.S. and China. Uh, you know, historically, Russia obviously has uh, had a lot of concerns dating back to the Cold War about, you know, this idea of the United States having missile interceptors uh, up in space. So there are a lot of uh, policy questions here, technology questions here, uh, funding issues here, uh, you know, the folks I've been talking to say, you know, from a, a technology perspective, you know, this might actually be feasible, um, but it could be very expensive um, and, you know, potentially uh, destabilizing. So we'll see where that goes, but that's definitely something to watch here uh, in the coming months. This review is expected to be completed uh, later this year, um, and there's, you know, uh, uh, you know a, lot of, uh, a lot of interest in that. We, there's definitely a lot of implications with with the space and moving into space and weaponizing space for sure. We're talking to uh, we're talking about uh, and we're talking to John Harper. He's a managing um, uh, editor and he just kind of put a lot of stuff in my mind. So that's why I was pausing about where are we going with space and war and everything else. But we're talking about what's going on with the Pentagon and where they're starting to put their dollars at. They're starting to move their dollars into research and development a lot more. They've always done it, but they're starting to move into a number of different unique areas, artificial intelligence and space, uh, uh, the dynamics of uh, uh, hypersonic weapons, uh, lasers, and everything 
anything else that we used to watch uh, on TV, this stuff is starting to come into fruition and the, and the dollars are being put into this. And so this has a lot of implications for the future, as John was pointing out. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about cyber. Really, we only got a few minutes left, but we're going to talk about cyber when we come back after this break. Uh, there's some implications about what's going on and where monies are being spent in terms of cyber operations with the Defense Department. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We have been talking about a number of important issues, and these issues have some long-term implications about where the Pentagon is starting to see the future, about where the Pentagon is starting to put their money. We always know it's, it's about the dollars, and so when you start seeing people put money in certain areas, then that really means something. That's what's going on, and that's what the future is going to hold. We're seeing less money go into kind of the, the dynamics of counterterrorism and then more go into more of the big war dynamics against a Russia, against a China, against a major state actor. We're talking to John Harper. He's the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. You can find him at nationaldefensemagazine.org. We're talking about the future, about where the Pentagon is putting their money in terms of procure, going less from procurement and then putting more money into R&D. Hey, John, you know, I saw in, in, in this article you were talking about cyber, and, and, and this is a very, very big area right now, of course. You know, where is, is the Pentagon looking at cyber? Are we looking at to boost it up more, put more resources on all the branches? Of course, we have a cyber command. Where is the Pentagon seeing this? Well, uh, Pentagon leaders have identified cyber um, as a warfighting domain on par with air, land, sea, and space. Um, so they see, you know, the future conflicts as having a major cyber component. And even today, uh, Defense Department networks, uh, you know, U.S. military networks are under constant attack. Um, so there's a defensive element to this. Uh, you, you know, there's going to be uh, a lot more spending on uh, cybersecurity technologies. Um, and, in fact, you know, the Pentagon has already talked about how they've been attacking, uh, you know, ISIS um, you know, social media accounts, uh, you know, other, um, you know, conducting cyber operations already. So this isn't, you know, something that's going to happen down the road. Uh, you know, this is happening today. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a huge concern about Chinese activities in this realm, Russian activities in this realm, you know, even, you know, some smaller powers um, that have these capabilities. So the Pentagon is really looking to, uh, you know, not only defend their own systems, um, but to have, you know, increased capabilities to uh, attack uh, other countries or, uh, you know, terrorist group systems as well. You know, you know, John, and there was always this big dynamic of kind of saying, hey, listen, we didn't have enough cyber warriors. It, it is, and, and I know more. this is more research and development dollars, but it, uh, are there dollars who are going to also say we need to increase the number of cyber war, warriors, training, um, other things of that sort in order to kind of, you know, deal with this, especially since this is a current situation that we have to, you know, confront? Right. I mean, the the Pentagon has definitely been trying to beef up um, its cyber workforce. Uh, you know, there's a, you know, Cyber Command has been uh, elevated, uh, you know, to a higher level. Um, you know, they've been adding more personnel to this mission. Uh, you know, one challenge that you'll hear officials talk about a lot is that uh, for young people, you know, coming out of universities uh, with uh, who are highly trained in uh, the cyber realm, 
it can be a recruitment challenge for the Defense Department because, you know, these folks can go to Silicon Valley and earn a huge salary that, you know, frankly, the, you know, the Pentagon just uh, can't offer. Right. And uh, so, you know, there's uh, a really strong competition uh, for talent out there right now. Um, and, you know, the Defense Department, uh, you know, their approach or their pitch really to try to bring people in is, uh, you know, kind of a playing on, uh, you know, notions of patriotism. You know, you can come uh, serve your country. Um, you know, from a financial perspective, uh, that can be uh, a challenge. Um, so that's, I think, going to be kind of, you know, an ongoing uh, issue is, uh, you know, recruiting people uh, for this uh, mission that uh, Pentagon folks uh, see as uh, as highly critical um, in the coming years, and not just in the coming years, but but already today. Sure, sure, sure. Last thing, John, I see a lot of the legacy programs are are, are not getting as funded. Uh, C one thirty cargoes, uh, F thirty five joint fighters, the KC forty six tankers, uh, the Apache helicopters. Uh, there's maybe kind of a, a across the board a decrease on these areas. Um, you know, is that is that just as we look at the future? There's there's I say, hey, listen, we don't need that as much. Uh, well, there's certainly uh, legacy systems um, that uh, you know you're going to see uh, a decrease in funding, and um, you know we'll see which ones actually uh, get cut um, and which ones you know continue to receive uh, that funding. Um, obviously, you know as we've been uh, discussing there's a you know a big push to develop uh, new systems which brings opportunities for industry for the companies that can build these technologies uh for the companies that you know are developing the legacy systems uh that could be a problem but of course you know a lot of these companies especially the larger ones you know would be the ones working on the new systems as well as the older systems so you know um I guess that could potentially be sort of a, a double-edged sword right. uh, for them. But, of course, Congress has a say in this, and, you know, some of these legacy programs have a, a political constituency, if you will. You know, if a system is built in a congressman's district, uh, you know, maybe uh, he or she, uh, you know, won't want to see uh, funding cut for those programs and, you know, see people, see their constituents uh, potentially, you know, laid off, Um folks who have been working on on building those systems. Right. So there's a political dynamic to consider uh, as well. But I do think going forward, um, you, you will see decreased spending on, on some of these legacy systems or systems that are not viewed as contributing heavily to uh, a high-end fight against advanced adversaries. And you're going to see a lot more money uh, being pumped into uh, R&D projects and, and other uh, initiatives to uh, acquire some of these cutting-edge capabilities that the Pentagon is is interested in, uh, you know, as it looks at uh, threats posed by uh, China and Russia um, in particular. A lot more to come, John. A lot more to come. It always turns back to politics, Absolutely. doesn't it? <laughs> hey, make sure you send me the article. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other conversation. That's another we'll day. <laughs> make sure you send me the article that you're right. working on so that we can get you back on. I want to I want to talk about that, too. There seems like a lot of developments are happening right now. We appreciate your insight for the day. Uh, thank you so much, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Derek. 
You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 